thanks for tuning in. You're listening to From A to Gen Z with Connie Castle and Jale Brazel, cultural commentary and celebrity chat from two Gen Zers. Hello, so we are back from our summer break and it seems like an excellent time to discuss the most exciting fashion event of the year. Yeah. Postponed for two years now, <gasps> didn't happen yet because of the two pandemic. Years. Two whole years we so. didn't live with it. I know, how do we survive? Um, it is the Met Gala. Woo. So, this is the annual fundraising gala um, that's hosted by the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. And every year it's based around the exhibition run by its Costume Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this year the theme was American Independence. Interesting. I personally thought the theme was a bit broad mm. um, and that the looks were a tad less cohesive slash, slash creative in some way. Yeah. Actually, maybe creative is a bit harsh because they just went in quite different directions. Yes. Sometimes it wasn't possible to link everything back to the theme, but that is kind of true every year. In previous years, like when it was Heavenly Bodies, that yeah, was really great cool. because some people went religious and some people went like bird yeah and theme. one year it was camp wasn't it one year it was I camp like it's good when it's big enough that allows for some creativity yeah but when it's too broad it just doesn't work i agree so i'm sure they'll take our feedback into account <laughs> <laughs> for next year Man, yeah <laughs> yeah so it's 30 grand for a ticket which is insane which is I didn't insane know that until this year that yeah. actually blows my mind yeah it how is. can it be worth that I think it is worth that. <laughs> oh my god! But no, but it's it's worth that if you're the level of fame and wealth that the people who attend are. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If you're not, if you're just an if you're a normal a person, then that's ridiculous. No, no, no. How can the meal be that worth that much? No, no, definitely not. Exhibition. No, de- nothing can be worth that yeah. much for one night. <laughs> and surely you have to pay so much extra as well with the outfit that you wear. Oh, I think it's often it? sponsored. Oh, I think you're often okay. sponsored by a designer to go. Yeah, and I often heard that I heard that often the celebs don't have to pay at all. Yeah, exactly. So. Because like j- just for the publicity, it's like worth someone paying for them to go. So that is very true. But I just think, I don't know. I just really buy into the hype. Really? <laughs> I'm a real hype beast about this. So if someone offered me the chance to go, I'd be like, yes. Should but we obviously, start a GoFundMe. <laughs> get Jar to the Met please can we it's such a worthy cause it really is (laughs) yeah so just a recap of the best outfits so Lil Nas X who is fast becoming a real fave celeb of mine he really is he's he's breaking through to the mainstream he really is and I love to see it Um, so he had a three part Versace golden outfit we're talking cloak we're mm. talking suit of armour. Yeah. Then a sparkly bodysuit underneath Ooh, that. Amazing. Incredible. And Kim Kardashian obviously made massive splash by going in a head-to-toe, skin-tight black outfit that included, like, a face. Yeah, it was like a morph It was, like, moulded to her face. Yeah, it completely covered um, her face. Do we know the link to American fashion in that? Well, on her Instagram, she claimed that it nothing could be more American than head-to-toe t-shirt. It, it didn't really look like a t-shirt it looked like a morph suit so I'm really, have you seen the memes that's really good memes oh yeah, yeah. yeah American Independence I don't know if this is just the times we're living in or it's the theme but it opened up room for much more political statements than yes. have been made in previous years so you had Dan Levy of Schitt's Creek fame who went wearing this kind of puff sleeved 
um, kind of jacket slash shirt combo that had um, a print of a queer couple kissing Aww. and like a map print layered on that. Do you have any faves? Um, along that line, I think I saw an Insta post which was like all the queer references mm. at the Met Gala and I liked uh, Nikki Tutorials did a good mm. one, uh, which was like a really nice floral dress. And it had a sash saying pay it no mind, which was like mm. an homage to Marsha P. Johnson, who was an NYC trans woman and activist, which mm. is really cool. Um, what did you think about AOC's one? Which said, oh, yeah. Was it tax the rich or eat Yeah, it was yeah. A, a white dress. Yeah, so this is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, the American left-wing politician. Mm-hmm. And she wore this white gown that had tax the rich written on it in yeah. red letters. Um, and the main thing I thought about that was just like it is quite brave of her to wear that to the Met Gala where it is like a collection of the most wealthy and influential people in the western world so I would just love to have been like a fly on the wall seeing her move through like the party and seeing how people reacted what did people what were people's faces like obviously Kim couldn't see through through her back (laughs) like facial mask but I wonder what she thought about that yeah the way it's good because it has it's caught people's attention and it is a real statement to do that at an event like that I thought it was I I thought it was quite enjoyable to be honest yeah Yeah. okay so this week we've got quite a lot of books on the agenda exciting Mm. very literary week uh, and the first one we're going to kick off with um, is Dolly Alderton's Ghosts. Yes, I finally got around to reading this. I feel like it's been out for ages. Yeah, it You has. read it ages ago. But yeah, it came out in 2020, and it's Dolly Alderton's debut novel. And it's written from the perspective of a character called Nina, who is a 32-year-old single woman living her best life mm, in London. She is. And it kind of explores all the themes that Dolly Alderton has become really well-known and popular for. So it's like, you know, female friendships and your love life and your family relationships. And it's set over a course of a year in Nina's life. And I think quite specifically, it's based around this unique point in time which I think happens to people in their early 30s, she says, at 23, (laughs) where your life is kind of the most different it's going to be from your friends because the gulf between people who have kids and who don't have kids, Mm. that just creates such different lifestyles and it like diverges really in an extreme way. And then she kind of talks about that in the book. There are friends of hers who have kids and she obviously doesn't and she's still living in the city and some of them are moving out to the suburbs and that's like a whole thing. But I know you read it. Did what, what stood out for you? Um, yeah, I think those themes really stood out for me. I read it quite soon after I read Expectations. So mm. it's kind of like, OMG, this period <laughs> of life is going to be so stressful. But yeah, I really enjoyed Dolly Alderson's style. She's really funny. She has a great way of just observing mm-hmm. life. Um, I particularly love the hen party scene. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you remember that. <laughs> but that was really great. Just what's the word like exasperation she's obviously yes. been to thousands of hen parties always been single and yeah she was just she was fed up to be honest yeah but also i thought she conveyed the hysteria of an occasion like that really well because it's there's so much social pressure because obviously the bride and this is all cliches but like in the book this is exactly what happens the bride wants everything to be perfect everyone has to kind of put on an appearance of having the greatest time in their life mm-hmm. when they're actually... But I went to the hen party and I just remember being thrilled because everything was so novel. Yeah. Like, in the book, she talks about playing the knicker game, which is where the women invited to the hen mm-hmm. party buy the, the bride a pair of underwear and then she, like, has to put all them on 
overclothes or not overclothes or whatever and guess who bought what and at this hen party when this was happening i was like this is such a fun game like what a (laughs) clever idea (laughs) obviously if you've been to like a thousand by the time that you're 32 you're like this is so boring yeah i'd never heard of that game and i've never been to a hen party so i was like i've got fun love to meet up my friend (laughs) (laughs) but i thought the thing that stood out most for me was that nina the main character in the book her dad has it's either dementia or alzheimer's i don't think it's ever actually clarified what he has but those scenes where she's coming to terms with with him having quite a debilitating illness that's only going to get worse over time that really stood out for me and was a nice balance to the more fun elements of the book that about like her romantic life or whatever and thinks that his mum is still alive Mm -hmm. and tries to like go and see her and talks about her as if she's just around the corner and stuff like that and this woman advises Nina that when that's happening, don't sort of correct him because that just makes him more frustrated yeah. and annoyed. It's easy just to go along with it as if it is true and kind of just try and placate that fantasy, even though right. it's not based yeah. in reality. And it really reminded me of there's a scene in, I don't know if you've ever seen the 2011 film Friends with Benefits. I think I have. Yeah, yeah. Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis. So in that, Justin Timberlake's character also has a dad who's suffering from Alzheimer's. And it's the same thing where it kind of gets steadily worse over the course of the film, in this case. And one of the final scenes is that they go to a restaurant and his dad's quite confused. And so he like takes his trousers off. Like, he's got his boxer shorts on, but he he just, you know, like, it's behaviour that you wouldn't normally do in public, but he just, like, is not... Didn't know where he was. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, like, isn't really computing. And instead of going off on one and getting angry at him or anything, Justin Timberlake's character, like, also just takes his trousers off and, like, kind of tries and normalises it. And it just reminded me of that, because I was like, how nice that those two basically rom-com genre things, film and book, have treated something that's so serious in... A, a, just a very inviting and like empathetic yeah. way I thought that was really nice yeah I thought it was really interesting that she kind of used the the title like the ghosts idea to kind of represent what her dad was going through like all these ghosts in his past and what she was going through with kind of being ghosted on the dating yeah. app it was nice to read a novel that was based now and so you could see how like her romantic expectations met by reality of like tinder and being ghosted Mm. by this guy obviously it's probably not in the same literary field but it would be a capsule book for like a hundred years time to like show what it was like as a woman in your early 30s living in london you know like having a professional career and everything because it's very relatable, but in quite a holistic way. Like, it's relatable in loads of different spheres of life. Do you think, as a Gen Z, Gen Z, is there anything that you thought Dolly, like, didn't get, or that you didn't relate to, because she's, like, that just that one stage? Yeah, of well, this was interesting. So I thought, there's a lot, like, Dolly Alderton's whole career is essentially based on being relatable, mm. and that she's done so incredibly well at that, and there's True. clearly a massive demographic of women me included, where I was reading this book and I was like, haha, like, she mentions things like playlists where you yeah. feel like you've got a similar one, the way she describes yeah. the kind of songs that are on it. You're like, okay, yeah, I recognise that in my own life. But one thing that I kind of was a bit jarring for me is, and I don't know if this is an age thing, I don't know if it's a, because I know it was written before the pandemic, so maybe that's a feature, but I thought the attitude to alcohol and, like, boozing was quite different to what I've experienced in our generation I think because the main character in the book often goes out on like a week night meets her slightly wild friend 
and they'll have like three bottles of wine in the pile. Oh, wow. And maybe I'm just not having enough fun. I don't know. And also maybe it's like they can afford to do that. Yeah, disposable income for yeah. three bottles of wine in a pub. I guess only a 30-year-old who's like climbed up in their yeah. career. Yeah, and doesn't be. have kids, isn't yeah, paying single, kids, and living on that. your own. I think if you're living on your own, you'd be more likely to go out on a weeknight, wouldn't you? Because yeah. you just... Otherwise, you're sitting on your own in your flat. Yeah. Kind of thing. I wondered if that was a change because people who are our age, people who left uni or were at uni during the pandemic when, like, you couldn't go out and drink loads, I wonder if that has had a bit of a, like, shift on how we perceive the relationship of alcohol to having a really good time. I, that was just something that stood out to yeah, me. Yeah, no, that, I think that's really interesting. Mm. They, they say that our generation drinks less, don't they? Yeah, I think it's also like a, I think it's a heightened awareness of things like wellness. Yeah, true. Because even though that's marketed to people who are slightly older than us, it, like it really filters down yeah. so that we're aware of it at a much younger age than I think we otherwise would be. So maybe we're just more obsessed with like having our five a day than we are with <laughs> boozing. I don't know. I I definitely when I read it felt like God, this is such a pre-lockdown world. I can't mm. imagine she's like snogging random people in the club or sitting with five different people in a bar and that at that time felt insane because we'd just been in lockdown for so-, so I would definitely I would recommend that I mean I whipped through it so quickly I read it in like a few days mm-hmm. and it would be a good holiday read it's not very demanding I mean it did make me cry but <laughs> me too <laughs> everything 100%. makes me cry so that's Wear no measure sunglasses if you're reading it on the yeah. beach oh so no yeah that's really good advice Thank thoughtful you. advice I'm so interested to hear about the book that you're going to talk about. I remember reading quite a lot about it at the time when it came out, but would love to hear your takes. Yes, so this week I'm talking about um, the book Three Women, which is by Lisa Tadeo. And I think this actually came out maybe 2019, Mm. so it's a little bit vintage (laughs) these days. Um, And she's actually got a new book, which has just come out, called Animal, I think. Mm. So that's getting a lot more press at the moment, but... This one was very, very interesting indeed. So it's a non-fiction book, uh, which today has spent eight years working on. And t- she's a journalist, um, like that's her normal job, but she traveled around the US and basically she used to go up to people in bars and just kind of ask them to talk to her about their sex life wow. in order to find subjects for, for the book. So she eventually found three subjects, which um, are the, the whole story in the book. Um, they're true stories it's uh, three women Maggie, Lena and Sloane and each one has a complicated understanding of their own needs is how the Guardian put it mm. so it's just a, a very interesting non-fiction yet somehow it, it must be slightly fictionalised because it's obviously not the women telling their own stories mm. so it's obviously relayed through Tadeo very interesting premise so the three women are um, Maggie who alleges she had a sexual relationship with her high school teacher Aaron Nodal and we meet her as she's dealing with like the emotional and legal aftermath. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Lena, who after being raped by three classmates as a teenager, married a cold and undemonstrative man. Mm. She's now a mother of two and she starts an affair with her old boyfriend, Aiden, mm. who she was dating right before she was raped. Mm. Um, and then privileged and elegant Sloane, mm. who has sex with other people so her husband can get a thrill from watching. Mm-hmm. So yeah, three very different women in very different situations and like ages and walks of life yeah and it, it's stru- structured in alternating chapters which is probably a good way to do it. it's quite interesting but the only thing i found was that i was definitely drawn to like one of the women more and as this yeah the chapters progressed i was like can we just get back to her please <laughs> um so maggie's is really gripping from the start because you you're kind of thrown in like, in her 
she's like 16 15 16 and she's just starting like her sexual awakening and then obviously things start happening with the teacher whereas Sloane I really didn't warm up to at the beginning mm. um somehow like today I managed to kind of create like just a cold energy from her mm. and everything in her life seems perfect and as you get further on in the book like you find out more under the surface but definitely mm. didn't really relate to her at the beginning yeah so interestingly Maggie Wilkin is the only one of the women whose real name is used basically because okay. because of the situation with the teacher she didn't feel that the case was like given very much media attention and um Aaron Nodal the teacher who she accuses of she she accused him of like sexual harassment or misconduct mm. at least was acquitted on two counts and then I think they said it was a mistrial on the other count so mm. He kind of got off very much scot-free, was like reinstated, teacher of the year, all this crap. Mm. And she was kind of just left in the dust. So I think she used her like experience with today to kind of mm. get her story out there. Mm. Yeah, so it, it very much kind of blurs the lines between fiction and non-fiction, as I said. And there's definitely an element of how much can we trust the narrative because it's obviously spoken through today. And like, what is there a bit of artistic license given? Because mm. it's definitely not matter of fact. It's not like... Lena walked down the street. Lena shagged mm. this guy. It's like, mm. you're really in their heads. But yeah, I thought a, a very interesting quote about it, which is from the novel itself. Um, not the novel, the book. <laughs> which is, men can frighten us, other women can frighten us. And sometimes we worry so much about what frightens us that we wait to have an orgasm until we are alone. We pretend to want things we don't want so nobody can see us not getting what we need. Mm. Intriguing. And basically, there just seem to be so many layers to desire that the book kind of opens up, it's like an onion. Like You think it's one thing and then suddenly you see like what's underneath and why the person maybe desires it. And she doesn't really lay everything out on the table. I think she leaves things up to you to interpret. For example, Sloane's life, we find out a few things that kind of happened when she was younger and in her teens. Mm. And you, and yeah, today it doesn't make a direct link, but definitely leaves up to the reader to kind of make an inference like, yeah is that why she likes this certain thing in the bedroom or like is that yeah. why she's like this in in her personal life and her real life so mm. super interesting um and then one i have one quote to read from the book which was uh, like from the end a bit of a spoiler alert if anyone's intending to read it but one of the kind of final thoughts that Tadeo leaves you with is about women resenting other women's desire so um her, on her mother's deathbed her, the last thing she said to lisa was um never let them see you happy and she says particularly other women yeah right really oh, heavy gosh. thing to say um yeah so i'll just read this this part out it felt as though with desire nobody wanted anyone else particularly a woman to feel it marriage was okay marriage was its own prison its own mortgage here is a place for you to lay your head and here is a bowl a food bowl for the dog if you fuck around, if you try to build a steam bath, may everything you fear come to pass. My mother's final lesson to me, never to let anyone know I was happy. I had in fact absorbed many years earlier as a child. My father would buy me an unauthorised mermaid, something that changed colour for spoiled girls in the bath. He never told me not to tell my mother. I told myself. Whoa. Wow. Hashtag deep. <laughs> I'm actually reeling from that. That and then also that quote we pretend to want things we don't want so nobody can see us not getting what we need yeah it's just like it reminds me of um i recently listened to the episode of how to fail elizabeth day's podcast with graham norton on it oh i haven't and listened to that one yet really yeah to. but he's very interesting because he was talking about he writes novels and he was talking about writing female characters versus male mm. characters and he was saying 
And when I was listening to it, it sounded like a cliche, but this like kind of gives intellectual backing for his point, which was that women are so much more psychologically complex than obviously really? it's a generalization, but women are so much more psychologically complex than most men that writing them as characters for him is so much more fulfilling. And it's because of things like this, like mm. tricking yourself into hiding your desires to such an extent. And the reason for that being sort of a way of deceiving everyone around you into thinking that you're like less happy than you are. Yeah, That's like such a complex way of, of punishing yourself. And it's, it's just like a cage that, that women yeah. have learnt to live within for so long. It's honestly crazy what, the more you think about it because we often think that people, that the women around us are trying to portray like a much better image of their life than, mm. than it is. Like for Instagram, for example, it's all the highlights mm. real, but actually, is that true? Like that's mm. not what she's saying. She's saying that we hide the, the great things in our life or the moments where we feel like desire from our friends mm. because we know that they wouldn't be happy for us. So that's really interesting. Mm. Um, and yeah, something that I thought were kind of linked to that was just the tension between the patriarchy mm. um, and what, what we do because um, because we think like we need to do it and because men will find it attractive and because we've been taught that other women are our competition. Like, so, so how much, to what extent are we pretending that like we love to shave our legs because mm. it makes us feel like more sexy? Are we doing that for ourselves? Are we doing that because we think that guy will find it mm. attractive or that girl will think like, oh wow, I wish I was, I was like that. Mm. Just really opens up a lot yeah. of like questions. Well, thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. I honestly feel like I'm gonna, that's gonna stay with me. I'm gonna be thinking <laughs> about that for the next few weeks now. There's a lot to digest yes, there. Yes, there is. Mm. Welcome to From A-List to Gen Z, the segment where we talk in detail about the wild, wild world of celebrities. So, Jard, do you have any celeb goss for me? I need the lowdown this week. Yes, I can give you the lowdown. So there's actually been a update on the Free Britney campaign that we have been following Ooh. so closely these past few months. Yeah. So, her father, Jamie Spears, has filed a request to end her conservatorship. Woo! Yay! Free Britney. Um, and after that, in the past few days, she has got engaged to her boyfriend, Sam. Um, Sam Ascari. So, he's an actor and a personal trainer. I think they met on the set of her 2016 song, Slumber Party, which oh, is cool. an underrated Britney tune. I don't think I've heard that one, you know. It features Tinashe. Honestly. <gasps> no way! check it out I'm gonna listen after. and it's part of her love story with her fiance That's so beautiful. an important piece of history and the ring that he gave her is engraved with the lioness How which cute. is apparently his nickname for her super cute and this is all quite nice because as part of her court statement that she made in June Brittany said that she wanted to marry him and like have oh. a baby with him but under the conservatorship she wasn't allowed to have her contraceptive IUD removed. Oh, like, that's oh, the oh. extremity of the situation. Her conservator would have had to approve the marriage before she could go through with it. Mm, so it's actually so crazy. Horrible, isn't um, it? Thank God she's. it will end. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that is good news. And the second interesting update uh, in part of the saga that we've previously covered yeah. is that J-Lo and Ben Affleck have gone red carpet official quite a few times now. How exciting. So they first appeared um, together at the Venice Film Festival and then more recently at the Met Gala. Wow. So Benefer is real. And if you want the kind of history of that, then listen to our previous episode yeah. where we went through their relationship in some detail. 
Jar, what have you been watching recently? Well, I was absolutely thrilled when the new Gossip Girl came out. This is a 2021 reboot of the original series, which ran for six seasons between 2007 and 2012. So this rebooted version, there are some obvious differences, like it has a much more diverse cast, which is great, mm-hmm. um, but it still has the same overall concept of really privileged and wealthy teenagers um, who are growing up on the Upper East Side in New York and they go to a, a private school that's really expensive and their lifestyles are essentially just really scandalous and crazy by our standards. But for the original series, obviously the premise was that there was an anonymous blogger called Gossip Girl who knew all the secrets of these main characters mm-hmm. and would often post about them and expose things that they didn't want exposed and all these kind of things. And... I mean, to be brutally honest, the original series was trash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but And it was quite problematic in many ways. But it was also just pure entertainment. Visually, like, the clothes were crazy, but, you know, they interested you. Yeah. And the characters didn't really conform to any normal human behaviour. No, it was crazy. They were, like, it, 14, going to the club. Yeah. with guys doing coke. Like, all yeah, that kind of exactly. Thing. And also just, like, the way they treated other people was so insanely mm. narcissistic, but also illogical. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just... It was, it was not plausible at all, but it was just really enjoyable to watch. And to be honest, I think they've really misjudged this reboot. Um, hot take there. I know, it's a flaming <laughs> hot take. Get the fire extinguisher out, this is a hot take. Um, I just felt like, so they're riffing off the central theme of the main series, which was the rivalry between Serena and Blair, who were like nominally best friends, but also kind of hated each other. Yeah. And the way they've done that is that they've got these two characters who are half-sisters called JC and Zoya. And in the first episode, Zoya joins JC's school and already starts to have an impact on her like reputation Mm. jc is this really successful instagram influencer and zoya kind of her presence starts like jeopardizing that um and also you know she's introduced her group of friends and kind of makes waves there Mm. that sort of destabilize jc's perfect life but that wasn't the only issue it's like (laughs) the first episode sets up this isn't a spoiler because it happens in the first 20 minutes it reveals that the teachers at their school yes. are the new Gossip Girl using an Instagram account, basically because they're really resentful at how badly they're treated by the students. Yeah. So they set up this, like, cyberbullying account <laughs> to try to try and, like, get them in line or something. Yeah, it's just not clear how that's going to get them in line, in a no, way, is it? it's like, really is- tenuous. But making their lives terrible gonna make them be nicer to the teachers? No, it makes no sense. It's like a very vague, like, let's humble them yeah. thing. And I understand, I think it was quite good that they made the point that teenagers who are super rich are to some extent a bit untouchable because if their yeah. dad's got that much money, they can make the teachers' lives a living hell. But it's so creepy. Yeah, it's so <laughs> it's creepy. And it's, it's just so unethical. Yeah. Like, I was just seeing if they were ever got caught out, this would just be... So fired. It would be not worth it. They would be struck off yeah. forever <laughs> as a teacher. It was, like, it's so insane. And they kind of half tried to acknowledge how weird it is. Because they're also mm. posting pictures of these teenagers. Like, the original Gossip Girl in the 2007 series, the anonymous blogger used to post, like, compromising pictures of them. Yeah. Like, and that was, okay, like, we don't know who that is, so we understand that there's no moral standard there. 
But with this, it's like, we do know who's posting that, yeah. and that's really dodgy. Imagine your teacher trying to yeah. stalk you, take a half-naked pic of you. Yeah, it's just Very terrible. So I just don't think they thought that through enough. And I also don't think that they realised how much... I don't think I realised this either, but when we were watching the original series, it actually was quite exciting to think who Gossip Girl was. Yeah. Because they've they, taken that away now. They've completely taken the mystery away. Because they that was something that they really teased you with over a long period of time. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't occupy many of my thoughts, but it was still something that was unique to the show. So, yeah. again, they just didn't really think that through. And I think uh, it was kind of like a prototype or like I don't know a trend that other shows copy like Pretty Little Liars I've never watched oh, okay. that but there's a whole like who is A mm. I think they majorly took that from Gossip Girl and Gossip mm. Girl started a thing so I don't know why they've taken that essence of Gossip yeah, Girl away anyway. from, from its actual reboot exactly but I think all of this kind of comes under the same umbrella of issues which is that I don't think they've considered the generational difference between the audiences who were watching the original Gossip Girl yeah. versus if they're aiming this at teenagers now, it's just a completely different age of the internet. Like, that's what I Definitely. kept thinking, is that 2007, like, Instagram only launched in 2010. Like, that's how early it was in yeah. terms of the way blog, we... wasn't it? Yeah, Gossip it was a Girl. blog. I mean, <laughs> and they look at it in the first episode of this reboot and it looks ancient. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so outdated. But I just feel like there's this awareness now of people are aging younger, they know that your online persona might not have that much relevance to your actual mm. life. Like, you might have interests and, in, like, trends online that, that has no bearing on how you behave or what you do in the real world. And I think people have a real awareness of that now that didn't really exist then. And it's the same thing of millennials now, the, like, trends of how they use social media is as an elevated presentation of their normal life, which we talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. But actually, I think Generation Below does that a lot less because they know that... It's all... It's all fair. Yeah, it's all fake. So I feel like like, the whole concept of Gossip Girl is that, you know, the internet is telling the truth about these people's lives. And I was just watching it being like, well, actually, people Mm. know that, like, you know, you doctor images on Instagram all the time. Like, it's not... So I just feel like they, yeah, they didn't take into account, like how times have changed so much in the like 10 years since the original series finished and i hate to say it but the clothes were also just not crazy enough true they're quite nice to be honest yeah they were like pleasant clothes i was kind of i quite liked seeing the brands because Mm. that is something that i always found with the old gossip girl like they don't look that luxury because they just look a bit weird (laughs) um but yeah, they had, like, that net-a-port-in yeah. bag. And, like, the first scene was some girl opening her, like, YSL bag or something. Yeah. So I definitely got the, like, wow, these are rich kids. Yeah. But they were not the quintessential gossip girl, like, preppy style. Yeah. You know? So despite my excitement for its release, I feel like it's been a build-up that's been going for months. I was actually quite disappointed with the result there. I haven't got past mm. episode two. I don't think I'm going to watch the that rest of the so series. Sad. I know. Very sad now it's time for nice nuggets of news a segment where we discuss uplifting news stories that might have passed you by
So you have a very on-brand, nice nugget of news, don't you? <laughs> I do. It involves both animals and RuPaul. Your two favourite things to talk about at <laughs> all on times. Um, yeah, so this nice nug is about the RuPaul fly, guys. Um, entomologist Brian Lessard has named an Australian fly species after the one and only RuPaul. Mm. How cool! So Lessard said himself, there's a new wave of entomologists using pop culture to generate interest in our science, which is really exciting. Um, and it's a great way of generating attention about why flies are important. How interesting. Mm. So basically this is like a beautiful little um, fly. It kind of looks like a beetle to me. Yeah. Um, I'll try and find a picture. And it's wearing, wearing, it is. <laughs> it's it's like, outfit's really cute. So they have a picture of it next to the picture of RuPaul's yeah. outfit. So it's like a rainbow coloured. Oh wow, iridescent. fly yeah. thing. Yeah, and it, yeah, exactly. Shiny, mm. rainbow gradient vibes, amazing. Mm. And there's a picture of Ru wearing like a very similar rainbow gradient dress. Mm. Yeah, so Lessard said that naming the fly after RuPaul came as an obvious decision and he said that he was watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race while examining the series and uh, he said he knew it would challenge RuPaul on the runway serving fierce looks wow yeah big big words I'm really I'm intrigued by this guy who has twin interests because obviously he's a scientist for insects an entomologist and he loves RuPaul's Drag yeah. Race and the last fly he named he named after Beyonce Oh my god. Cool, right? Yeah. Wow. He's he's a legend. Yeah. He said um it has a shine a costume of shiny metallic rainbow colours and it has legs for days. I think once Rue sees the fly, she'll realise it's quite fierce and hopefully appreciate the name. Oh wait, but that re- that reveals a quite an important detail, which is that he hasn't asked yeah. RuPaul. <laughs> Please may I name this fly after you. Which I mean I kind of understand because maybe RuPaul would have refused, but at the same time, that could come as quite a nasty yeah, shock. Maybe she'll she, maybe she might have a trademark on the name RuPaul. Yeah. Well, if anything's gonna make me interested in learning about flies, that is the way to get me interested. Yeah. So fair enough. I think Brian's got a point. Brian's got a point. So, Sha, what have you been reading recently? Tell me. Well, other than ghosts, I also finished um a novel by an author called Monique Roffey and it's called The Mermaid of Black Conch which it won the Costa Book of the Year award in 2020. It's just all these books that have recently come out in paperback and I'm just snaffling them up. So The Mermaid of Black Conch, it's set on a fictional Caribbean island called Black Conch in the 1970s and it opens with a young fisherman called David who starts seeing this mermaid kind of emerging from the sea by the side Ooh, of his boat. Wow. And she always emerges when he's playing the guitar and singing. So he thinks that it's kind of a musical connection. But then, in the first few pages, two Americans arrive on the island from Florida mm. on a fishing trip. And they're this kind of like horrible men. There's a father-son combination. It's just like, like really obnoxious, really entitled, like quite like aggressive, terrible vibes. Oh no. Um, and they go on this big fishing trip and instead of catching a fish, they, they reel in the mermaid. So they oh. catch her and it's this really like, really exciting, evocative description of this chase. And they they've, the way they're thinking about it is so gendered. It's so oh like, gosh. you know, we possess her, we're gonna make money from her. She really connected to nature and we have the technology because we're men. It's like all Ooh, really how? weird. And that happens in the first few pages um, and they, don't treat her really well at all. They string her up on the harbour, but she's rescued by 
David Fishman okay. and taken to live in his house and kind of kept secret there. Aww. And it turns out that she's called Achaia. And it is based on a legend about a mermaid called Achaia. So it's a kind of riff on this ancient story. And I won't give any more away in terms of the plot, but as the story continues, you find out more about her past and how she's connected to the island in quite an ancient way mm. and how she came to be a mermaid. Um, and it has some kind of magical and mystical elements to it. And her presence on the island really shapes the lives of other people there. So you have this view of humanity where they're really greedy and quite cruel to her, oh, no. but also very, you know, other people are very kind of warm and accepting and protect her. And the last thing I want to mention about it is I really enjoyed it because it's written in Caribbean Patois. Oh, so it had cool. loads of words that I'd never seen before. Um, and I just wanted to tell you a couple because I just think they're so cool. So one of them is Tabanka which is apparently the pain of unrequited love. Oh, how nice. How lovely is what that? It's such a lovely word for like a really horrible feeling. And the other one is mamagai, which is to, to deceive someone by being very like sweet to them, by oh. kind of flattering someone, but deceiving them at the same time. Love that. Yeah. We should start using it. I know, that. it's very clever, very clever. Um, so yeah, that was The Mermaid of Black Conch. That's my second book of today. Welcome to this or that, where we pit two popular items against each other and see which one comes out on top. So for our this or that question, we asked Marmite, yay or nay? Controversial. And I didn't realise how many thoughts and feelings I had about Marmite until I started considering this. I can't wait to hear them. <laughs> First of all, I'd completely forgotten that Lynx did a collab with Marmite. I don't think I ever knew that, you know. Oh my God. Have you not seen it? It's in Superdrive. Have you smelled it? It's in Boots. No, but it's only, I looked it up today. It's only £3.15 to buy an 150ml Lynx body spray that Ooh. allegedly smells like Marmite. And I'm so intrigued. So you like Marmite. Would you be into that? If if a guy came up to you in the club and he had the Marmite body spray, would you be like, yeah? I think I'd just be a bit hungry. I don't think I'd <laughs> do Especially if I was in the club, I'd be like, God, I'm starving now. <laughs> But then also, I this is another thing I realised relatively recently and has blown my mind, is that when you have quite a few pints of beer, you know, because Marmite is yeast-based mm, yes. and they collect the yeast from, from beer you taste quite like marmity in your mouth. You taste quite mm. yeasty flavour in your mouth when you've had loads of beer. So that also makes me quite hungry. Interesting. Mm. So would would you have a drink beer with marmite? Would that be like too much? What, like put a little shot of marmite in the beer? <laughs> like have a pint, have a marmite toast at the same yeah, time? Yeah, that doesn't feel weird to me. Interesting. I mean, it would be like yeast overload, <laughs> but I'd do it. I'd do it. So I have a fun Marmite fact really? to tell you before but we you go don't to the polls. Like yeah, so I'm not a Marmite lover, you know what? Like I, I'm still a Brit. Uh -huh. Anyway, um, <laughs> so do you know what Marmite means? No. Yeah, it's more than just a brand name, Jar. Um, what? I found out from the Wikipedia today that a Marmite is actually the name of a kind of cooking pot. It's a French cooking pot. And no. on the label of Marmite, you can see a little a little cooking pot yeah the little golden pot that's what a marmite is so it was named after the cooking pot 
Which is French. Which is French. Oh my god, it's been French this whole yeah. time. So for all you Brexiteers, <laughs> <laughs> your beloved mama is French. Yeah, because it is. It's an intensely British item because they yeah. have it in the states. And also, I understand. I remember there was a there was a foreign student at uni who always said that she just when she moved to the UK she really wanted to like learn about British culture and oh. so like a friend said she should try Marmite and she was just like I can't eat it it's so horrible but then actually yeah. it turned out that she was just spreading it a really thickly Wait, like because yeah. if you spread it like a jam you're screwed you've got to spread it like very thin but if it's if you, if it's not nice when you have a lot of it, why is it nice? Like, is it just not nice? You know? No. <laughs> we're making us like if, if we smooth like I don't know earth on the bread really lightly, maybe that would be nice. Do you think that mom might taste like earth? I really, to be honest with you, I've not tried it properly. I bet I basically only smelled it, so I've not really experienced mm. mom taste. I think I have had a bite in my life, but it just is really sour, isn't it? Yeah. And bitter, maybe. I know it's like an umami thing, you know, sweet and salty, oh. whatever. Maybe is it sweet and salty? Yeah, that Apparently. makes sense actually. It's it is it's savory. Yeah, yeah. I th- I'm not a, that big into savory in to be honest in general. I yeah, neither am I though. Um, interesting, and I, you love it. Yeah, I love mama. I find it deeply comforting. Oh, so it's probably, did you have it in your childhood? Yeah, but also only when we went to my nan's because oh, she's the only person so who likes my wife so now i'm thinking about it it's probably a very intense psychological link for me <laughs> <laughs> which if it. you don't have maybe it's gross couldn't say so what did what did the people think it was 56 percent yay oh and 44 percent no so that is quite consistent with the you love it or hate it yeah. tagline isn't it yes. quite pretty pretty split I, i'm kind of interested that there's more yay but we are you know is this a lot of Brits? Yeah. Were you surprised by that, Sean? No. No, I wasn't. I wasn't surprised about that because it is very divisive. Mm-hmm. So I understand. You know, yeah. it's a polarizing topic. We're polarized over it. Yeah. So will we ever reconcile? I don't know. <laughs> Props. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week. Thank you to all our listeners and social media followers. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And remember to follow us on social media at From A to Gen Z on Instagram, From A to Gen Z with Connie and Jarlette on Facebook, and at From A to Gen Z Pod on Twitter. Tune in next time for another episode of From A to Gen Z.